0: If you go to any graduation ceremony at MCRD San Diego or MCRD Paris Island, you'll see um, these Marines locked on, they're squared away, they are marching in unison, Um, they know how to work as a team. Well essentially that's what Paul is trying to do here with with the church here in Corinth. Uh, There's been again a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and um, he's been addressing some of them, especially during their church services. and so after, now after having discussed the gifts of the Spirit and the graces of, of the Spirit, Paul now concludes this section by reemphasizing the principles of ministry and how to properly use the gifts of the Spirit in an orderly way. Now, I, although I have no doubt that the Lord has a message for each and every single one of you individually, um, Our passage today is more so directed towards the church as a whole, towards the whole body of believers. You see, in any church, the best kind of communication is the kind that edifies, the kind that builds up, the kind that matures uh, the, the body of believers. You see, if the listeners in a church aren't growing and being built up, then everything else that's being done matters little. It's, it's, it doesn't matter much. Now, as a young church, this is very important for us to understand because regardless of our size, we, even if we, if we have five people, ten people, hundreds of people, or maybe even thousands, thousands of people, regardless of our size, I want fresh vision to be known as a church that I'm not only if is um, effectively is teaching the Bible but lives are also being changed as a result of that because I believe that if lives are changed the Holy Spirit radically changes somebody then that's when we can go out and really go out to the community serve the community we can serve each other I mean, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. You'll really see what uh, God doing an amazing thing here in the church. So before we get into the Word, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, another amazing Sunday that you've bestowed upon us, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, thank you for another... um, time that we're just able to worship you with our minds, with our hearts, with our lips, Lord, because you deserve it. For some of us, it's been a really hard, difficult week. And for some of other, some, for some maybe for some others, Lord, we, we, it's just a cry of our hearts because we've had an amazing week. But either way, you deserve it, Lord, because you've given us so much You've blessed us, and that's why we just always want to glorify You. So now as we open up Your Word, Lord, keep all the distractions away, and just speak to us individually, and speak to us as a church, Lord. Help us to understand what's being said here, what's what's being, the words written here in Your Word, So that we'll draw near to you and so that we'll just draw near as a church as well, Lord. Thank you for this time. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and use me as your instrument. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, (coughs) encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp. If they don't make a distinction in notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and this speaker will be a foreigner to me. So, also, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit praise but it but my understanding is unfruitful what then i will pray with the spirit and i will also pray with my understanding i will sing praise with the spirit and i will also sing praise with my understanding otherwise if you praise with the spirit how will you be how how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue." All right, well, apparently here there was a tendency for some of the Corinthians to lose control of themselves as they exercise their gifts. So it was necessary for Paul to remind them of the fundamental principles that ought to govern the public meetings of their church. In the first five verses, Paul, em, Paul's emphasis is on the importance of the gifts compared to the gifts uh, compared to the gift of tongues and supplies the reason why prophecy is the better of the two having just told them in the last verse of chapter 13 that the greatest of God's graces is love. Christians now must therefore pursue it. When Christians pursue love, our focus will be on how we can serve others. So my question to you all is, are you pursuing, pursuing love? Are you going after those characteristics of Paul, that Paul described in chapter 13? And let me read those off to you again. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in righteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So again, the question is, are you pursuing this? Are you pursuing these characteristics of love? And are you pursuing or making an intentional effort to pursue the source of love? And who is that source of love? It's Jesus Christ himself. It's God. In John 4, 7, John 4, 7 tells us, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. On pursuing love, Albert Barnes wrote this, earnestly desire it, strive to possess it, make it the object of your anxious and constant solitude, to obtain it and to be influenced by it always. Cultivate it in your hearts as the richest and best endowment of the Holy Spirit and endeavor to diffuse its happy influence on all around you. So not only should we pursue love, he also says that we should desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Why? because it's the most profitable in the church. Now as you, see, as you see in this chapter Paul's focus will be on the gifts of prophecy and tongues and how they should function in the church body in the church body life. However here in the Corinthian church there seems to have been an obvious overemphasis on tongues and an underemphasis on prophecy. Now what does it mean for someone to prophesy. Now there are those, there are many who believe that the miraculous gifts are no longer given by God and therefore regard prophecy as simply inspired preaching and not inspired in a direct way. However, the word prophecy is not the same as preaching. We know this because there was an ancient Greek word available for preaching and that word was caruso. And Paul didn't use this ancient Greek word here. Back in chapter 12, we learned that the gift of prophecy is signified by a person who received a direct revelation from God and communicated to others. And to put it simply, it's, it would be as if the Lord, I knew that the Lord had given me a message. There was no doubt about it. And I communicated it to you that's what um, uh, the gift of prophecy will do. Now whereas today preachers like myself we study the Bible we prepare our messages and as we share that message we faithfully and hopefully expect the Holy Spirit to do His work. So although there are similarities prophecy and preaching aren't exactly identical. Now Paul goes on to say that the person who speaks in another tongue without interpretation isn't speaking for the benefit of the congregation. Although God may understand what he saying, what he or she is saying, the people don't because that person is speaking a foreign language to them. And even though they may be speaking beautiful things and even though they may be um, saying amazing truths in that language, it won't do any good because no one will be able to understand what's being said. On the other hand, verse 3 tells us the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their consolation. The reason for this is that he's speaking in a language people understand. He's speaking in a plain language. In our case, speaking in the English language. And that's what makes the difference. You see, when a message is given in a common language, it will. It will result in strengthening encouragement and consolation of God's people. So unlike in uninterpreted tongues, prophecy is designed to edify the entire church. Not just the individual speaker Paul thus isolates Two is greater people not just God are addressed and those people are most positively positively affected for this reason Paul discouraged uninterpreted tongues within the church by declaring the supremacy a prophecy in verse 5. Now verse 6 presents the thesis of the next paragraph where once again Paul repeats the need for intelligibility. He tells them in verse 6 that even if he came to Corinth speaking in other tongues in another tongue it wouldn't benefit them unless again they could understand what he's saying. Paul's point in this verse is that in order to profit the church A message must make sense by being spoken plainly and clearly. Paul then outlines some of the problems with tongues in verses 7 through 12 with two illustrations. First of all, in order to be understood or appreciated, musical instruments must must be played in a discernible melody now we do have musicians here, past musicians that are that are are here and I'm sure they've been taught that you know, all music's gotta sync, but there are, I I remember um, when I was younger, I'm I'm the kind of person that listens to all kinds of music I appreciate um, listening to, I've heard it all Um, but there's some music that, man I just, I can't listen to I'm not gonna name them all here because I don't want to make enemies, but um, there there is, when I was younger, someone gave me a tape and it was experimental music. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. I'm open to listening to it. And, and I remember listening and hearing it and I had to turn it off and chuck it in the trash after, after just a few minutes because there was just all kinds of different sounds and noises and, and there was nothing discernible. There was, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. It was just all over the place. And that is what was considered experimental music. Now also, this is also the case with, um, even with regular music that has lyrics that I don't understand at all what they're saying. I mean, there's a lot of music out there that, what are you talking about? What are you saying? The words don't even match up. And there's, I mean, I think nowadays there's something called mumble rap, where you know people aren't even, singers or the rappers aren't even making any sense. It's just more about the beat. But anyways, my point again is that, again, the the message needs to be discernible, just like music. So, and secondly, the other illustration he uses is is that of a bugle, or in some translations, a trumpet. And again, I'm reminded of, if you haven't seen Isaacs playing the trumpet on Facebook, you should definitely watch it. (laughs) Um, When a bugler calls the soldiers to battle, it must be clear enough for the soldiers to distinguish the difference between advance and retreat. That's, back in, I don't think they do it now, but you know, back in the day, that's what these, uh, these buglers would do. They would uh, make the call whether to advance or retreat. So it is with the human tongue. Unless the speech we utter is intelligible, no one will know what we're saying or what is being said. It will be as profitless as speaking into the air." Now this is an important principle to understand for anyone that has a desire or maybe one day wants to teach the Word of God. Whether it's to third graders, kindergartens, um, maybe one day we'll, we'll have um, a place where we can teach small children, teenagers, youth. Um, but. The point is, here, what's important is that it be taught simply, plainly, and clearly. If it's too deep and over the heads of the people, then it won't profit them. It doesn't do them any good. It might result in bringing a certain measure of gratification to you, the speaker, but it won't help the people of God. If I stood here, and gave you a theological lecture on the ontological arguments between the hypostatic union and monophysicism mm-hmm. I'd only be doing it to prove how smart I am. I probably, you know, what are you talking about? doesn't make sense. You're going way over our head. It's too deep. You see, I know that sometimes and I'm still working on this, but I try to preach as simply and plainly and clearly as possible. You know, I want to be able to make sense to you all. Now if also if I was mixing my my Spanish and my English, maybe some of you would understand, maybe some of you wouldn't, but my goal here, up here, and anybody that speaks up here is to, to, to make sense. You know, to be able to speak clearly and plainly so that you'll understand. Now, verse 12 As you continue. Verse 12 continues by repeating the point which the first paragraph of this chapter ended. Seek to excel in building up the church. Notice that Paul never discourages them in their zeal for spiritual gifts, but seeks to guide and instruct them so that they'll use these gifts at the, to reach the highest goal. Now after outlining these problems, Paul addresses a solution to the problem in verses 13 through 19. The solution he offers is to simply pray for the interpretation of tongues. Verse 14 and 15 show us that receiving the gift of interpretation benefits oneself first of all. Without it, anyone speaking in tongues has no way of personally knowing the meaning of the message he or she has just uttered. So Paul asks, or rhetorically asks, what then? Well, it's simply this. Paul will not only pray with the Spirit, but he will also pray so that he'll be understood. It doesn't mean that he will pray with his own understanding, but rather that he will pray so that so as to help others understand. Now tongues and their interpretation aren't just limited to prayer, but might also come in the Song of Form too. Therefore praying and singing with my understanding may also include understandable worship songs as well. Now one of the reasons we put our lyrics to our worship songs uh, here or the worship songs we play here at the beginning of our service is so that you'll understand them so that as you're reading them you'll understand what's being said and so that they'll make sense and it'll just bring you joy again it'll help you worship the Lord but but if you don't know German, French, Cantonese, the Gallic, you know if you don't know um, all the you know you can name any language Me praying or even putting the most beautiful worship songs in that language wouldn't benefit you unless there was an interpretation. I mean, yeah, I I can tell you, you know, this is one of the best worship songs in in German or in French that's out there. And you can believe me and worship in the Spirit, but really, wouldn't it benefit you more if you understood what the lyrics or what the words were saying? think you know I know I would now Paul continues to elaborate this this point by explaining how speaking in a foreign language affects others present in verses 16 through 17 if Paul gave thanks with his own spirit but not in such a way as to be understood by others how could someone who didn't understand the language he is using say amen at the close. And again, reiterating this point, speaking in a foreign language, one might indeed be really giving thanks to God, but others are not edified. If they, they do not understand what's being said. Now, if all you understand and all you can grasp is is, for instance, Spanish. I'm familiar with that language, then I would probably recommend a good Spanish church. For you to go to, but again, for the sake and you and I I could be up here and I could be reading, speaking, and praying in Spanish, and you may understand. But again, there may be some that that just wouldn't. And uh, as I said, and as we're learning here, it just wouldn't benefit the English speakers that are here. Again, others won't be edified if they don't know what's being said. Verse eighteen informs us that the Apostle, Apostle, Paul here, apparently had the ability to speak more foreign languages than any of them. However, he's not speaking about languages that that he had learned. But here, the reference is undoubtedly, undoubtedly to his gift of tongues, specifically to his gift of tongues. So by saying more than all of you, Paul's instructions about the proper use of this gift within the church came from his own experience. He knew what he was talking about. Yet, in spite of his superior language abilities, Paul says in verse 19 that in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another, lang- in another tongue. You see, Paul wasn't at all interested in using this gift for self-display. His chief aim was to help the people of God, to help these Corinthian Christians grow, to help all Christians grow. Therefore, he determined that when he spoke, he would do so in such a way that others would understand him. Now, Paul has more to say about this topic, so let's pick up where we left off and follow along as I read from verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all, he is convicted by all and is called into account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God. Proclaiming God is really among you. As you can see in this passage we just read, Paul circles back to the reason why prophecy is preferable. But before he does, he informs the Corinthians that a preoccupation with tongues, without concern for the effect of oneself or others, Is childish thinking. Yes, there are ways that Christians should be childlike. They should be innocent when it comes to uh, being innocent of evil and having the faith of a child. There are many things that the Bible talks about that we should have that childlike behavior, the childlike faith, but not in their use of the spirit of of spiritual gifts. You see, mature faith never stresses the non-cognitive. I'm sorry, let me repeat that. Mature faith never stresses the non-cognitive at the expense of the cognitive. In other words, it would be immature for someone to teach complicated things to anyone that isn't mentally prepared to learn them. Again, I'll go back to Spanish, you know. I'm not gonna give you, a teacher isn't gonna give you advanced Spanish classes if you haven't learned how to say hola, mi nombre es. You know, you gotta, you gotta learn the basics. You gotta learn the fundamentals of Spanish. Some of the rules, the alphabet in Spanish because there are a couple different letters that, that it has in the English language. So again, for me to, or anyone to be teaching, Something that is too complicated—it just shows again their immature, their own immaturity. For Paul, it was a matter of priorities. Paul did not oppose the ministry of tongues. He did not try to put—he did try though—to put it into a right perspective. The issue was not quantity of words, but the quality of communication. Unfortunately, many of the Corinthians didn't see it this way. And as a result, they were acting like children playing with toys. When it came to knowing about sin, Paul wanted them to be babes. But when it came to spiritual understanding, he wanted them to be mature men and women. So after telling them to be more mature in their thinking Paul continues to justify his appeal to prefer prophecy over tongues. He begins by citing parts of Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. A passage in which God pronounces judgment against, the rebellious, against rebellious Israel at the hands of the foreign empire Assyria. He then makes the argument in verse 22 that since God intended tongues as a sign to unbelievers the Corinthians should be cautious about using them in their church gatherings why because tongues are a sign of judgment for unbelievers you see in Isaiah in that chapter Isaiah 28 the leaders of Judah rejected as unintelligible nonsense Isaiah's message that would have given Jerusalem rest from their enemies. Paul's point in referencing Isaiah was this, like those unbelieving leaders, non-Christians in Corinth may wind up being condemned, condemned, even if inadvertently, by those who speak a foreign language. Therefore, practicing other tongues freely and carelessly may actually do more harm than good to outsiders and unbelievers. He says it would be better if they prophesied, since prophesying not only has, was a benefit to them, but also served to convict and convert sinners. Now, if the whole church assembles together, and all are speaking in other tongues without any interpretation, what would strangers coming in think about it all? What would they say if they just saw everyone speaking in different languages and, 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 and there was a bunch of disorder? None of them would be able to understand what's being said and they will remain lost in their sins because they will reject the Gospel. Even if the Gospel is being proclaimed in that foreign language, in, those, in that foreign tongue, it, they'll reject it And the, as the product of insane babblers. Verses 24 and 25 go on further to clarify the last part of verse 22. Prophecy is a sign of judgment for believers in the positive sense that it creates Christians by convicting unbelievers of their sins and bringing them to repentance. What the apostle Apostle is emphasizing here is that no real conviction of sin is produced unless the listeners understand what's being said. When tongues are being used with no interpretation, then obviously visitors are not helped at all. Those who prophesy would of course do it, um, those who prophesy would of course do it in the common language and as a result the listeners would be impressed about what's being heard. Paul then says that the secrets of a man's heart are revealed by prophecy. What does this mean? When this happens the listener feels as though the speaker is addressing him directly, but in all reality, this it's the Spirit of God working to convict his soul. And I don't know how I can't tell you how many times that has happened to me as I'm sitting through a sermon. That I feel like, man, does that pastor, does that teacher know my life? Has he talked to somebody? Is he, you know, see, nobody's what what's going on with my own life? And it's later come found find out that no. It, He's just delivering the message he, he prepared. But it's the Spirit, again, the Spirit of God, again, convicting me, telling me, again, revealing the secrets of my heart. And that's, again, when that happens, you just know it's the Lord. The Lord is speaking powerfully to you. And what needs to be done after that is that you should listen, pay attention often many times again we have a tendency to just be like yeah no I don't wanna it's convi- too convicting and it's too tough I'd rather not pay attention I'd rather just let it go if you want to grow if you want to mature want to draw close to the Lord listen to what the Lord is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit he's speaking to you for a reason whether it's to change you whether it's to encourage you whether it's to um, it could be a number of reasons but don't ignore the Holy Spirit again as this happens he'll be able to fall down on his face and he will worship God and report that God is truly among these people and so Paul's point in verse 22 through 25 without interpretation produce no conviction among unbelievers whereas prophecy does So at this point, the Corinthians, or the Christians at Corinth, may have been asking, if unintelligibility is or intelligibility is a priority for churches when believers are gathered, how then should worship proceed? Paul answers this question in this last section we're about to read. So let's pick up in verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there are, only, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn. And let someone interpret. For if there is no interpreter, the person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate but if something has to be has been revealed to another person sitting there the first prophet should be silent if you can all prophesy for if you can all prophesy prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged and the prophet's spirit are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in, in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church, or did the word of God originate from you, or did you or did it come to, to you only? or spiritual. He should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignore this, ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but everything is to be done decently and in order. Because of the abuses that entered the church in connection with the gift of tongues, it was necessary for the Spirit of God to set forth certain regulations to control the use of this gift during their worship or church services. Starting in verse 26 to 33, Paul gives us a description of an orderly, free-flowing church meeting with wide participation. Now it appears that when the early church met, the gatherings were very informal. And if you do us history on early church and how they met, they were just small groups like this, meeting in a home. And there were just a bunch of them in, in Corinth, so there were just some really small groups. It wasn't a big church like you would see of thousands and thousands of people. In those small groups, there was liberty for the Spirit of God to use the various gifts which he had given the church. For instance, he says, one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another another tongue, or an interpretation. But having stated this, he sets forth the first control in the exercise of these gifts, but in particular here, the gift of tongues. Everything, and yes, gift even the tongues is to be done for the building up. What's being implied here is that the goal of coming together as a church is not to be entertained, nor to even be pleased with a blessing. The main goal of the church service is for the spiritual growth of God's people, for the building up, for the edification of God's people. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The second control is that in any one meeting, no, one, no more than three people may speak in tongues and they must not speak at the same time, but rather one after the other. This would avoid the bedlam of disorder of several people speaking at once. And the third control is that there must be an interpreter. There must be an interpreter when people are speaking in tongues. If this is impossible, then the would-be tongue speaker should remain silent Or say his or her prayer silently or inaudibly to God. Paul's rules for, then Paul gives his rules for governing the prophetic gift, and, and he sets them forth in verses 29 to 33. First of all, no more than three were to take part in any one meeting. Secondly, the Christians who listened. Were to, were to determine whether this was truly a divine utterance, or whether the man, that, mind, that man, might be a false prophet. Thirdly, if a prophet was giving a revelation, and another prophet received a message from God at that moment, the prophet that was speaking was to defer to the one who had more, who had the more up-to-date revelation. Now let me clarify again. Well, let me say the fourth one. And fourthly, prophecy, like tongues, need to be presented in an orderly fashion so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. Is the goal and the, and the gifts. That's the goal and the gifts are merely a tool to that purpose. And, and what, I, what, what I wanted to mention before was there's, again, there's a big difference between preaching and prophesying, you know. If I was prophet, if I received a direct message, then that's me being prophet. But as I'm teaching here, obviously, it would, be, it would be just as rude for anyone to just all of a sudden get up and interrupt saying, oh, I got a message from the Lord, and I have something else I I prepared, and I want to share. It's not the same. It would be like a student going up to a teacher or interrupting a class. And, you know, it just, it, again, there's a big difference. If I'm prophesying and then one of you received a revelation, direct revelation from the Lord, then what it's saying here is that I should remain quiet. I should stay silent and hear what you have to say. And it's everybody else's job to determine whether that person is really speaking from the Lord, whether it aligns with what the Bible says, or whether they're a false prophet. Because there are a lot of people out there who say that who say that, hey, I got this message from the Lord, that either doesn't align with what the scriptures say, or they just, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I have a lot more to say about that, but as I go on, hopefully, I'll be able to share more about that. You see, in a church, a church service can have a hundred tongues or a thousand prophecies, but if no one learns or is encouraged, there is no point to it. Paul then presents a very important principle that's often misunderstood in 32, in verse 32. Again, I've tried my best to, to clarify it here. So hopefully it will. Hopefully I will. When someone is under control of the Holy Spirit, they don't lose control of themselves by being carried away in a state of ecstasy. In other words, believers in the process of exercising their spiritual gifts are never so out of control as to be able to stop or regulate their own behavior. Such an idea is thoroughly refuted in the passage of scripture before us. In the New Living Translation, verse 32 reads, people who prophesy are under control of their spirit. Meaning he isn't carried away without, any con- without his consent or against his will. I think any, and I, 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 this is what I see as I read in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, any time anytime anybody is filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they're just full, they, yeah, they're acting in a way, they're full of joy, and like you see David dancing around butt naked You know, or basically just in his underwear, all over the place. You know, but he was still in control of himself. And we see this too. I mean, people were accusing Peter and the, um, uh, when they were filled at, at Pentecost, they were accusing them of being drunk. He's saying, no, we're not. They were in control of what was going on with themselves when they were speaking in a foreign language. those who say they lost control cannot evade the instructions of this chapter on the pretense that they just couldn't help it the truth is a person under control of the holy spirit can determine when or how long how long they should speak i've heard of churches again that worship goes on the people someone playing worship will go on forever because, you know, they're being inspired by the Holy Spirit. They can't lose, they, they've lost control of themselves and they just need to, you know. It, again, what it's saying here is that it doesn't work like that. There is control and that person can control how long they should sing, pray, speak. No one is completely out of control of themselves. Now Paul concludes his thought by telling them why church order is necessary at the beginning of verse 33. He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He's making the point that if a church service is the scene of chaos and disorder, that you can be sure that the Spirit of God isn't in control. Now, at the end of verse 33, he tells the Corinthians that the instructions he's given them don't apply to them alone, and have been addressed in all the, uh, and have been addressed in all the churches of the saints. And again, I want to be careful here, and hopefully you'll understand what's being, what I'm saying and what's being said here. He further instructs the Corinthian Christians that when they are gathered as a church, women should stay silent in the church during during the evaluation of prophecy you see the uniform testimony of the new of the new testament is that while women may have may may i'm sorry that women have many valuable ministries it's not given to them to have a public ministry to the whole church or to be the main teaching pastor of a church. Again, that's a a controversial in our age today, but Paul, this is what Paul is saying that it's not their place. It's not given to them. They are entrusted with the unspeakably important work and I hope this again doesn't sound chauvinistic, but the important work of the home and raising of children. I mean, those of you who have done that know how hard that is know how important that is because if the dad is always out at work and and trying to pay the bills or whatnot the mom is there and she's trying to you know she's it's hard work being around kids all the time I see it with my wife and I see it with some of you and and you know it can be very challenging and that's again a, a gift God is that is something that God is you know it's a blessing and that's the way I think you should see it. But Paul makes it clear here, again, that they're not allowed to speak publicly in the assembly. Theirs is to be a a place of submission to the man. Now, we study this. If you want to study this more, I I went over this when when we went over chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have more questions about that, I would first suggest going there. and listening to those lessons but also come and speak to me afterwards but again we can I can spend a whole hour another hour here speaking about uh, this subject so for the sake of propriety and order they were to ask their own husbands in the privacy of their own home about what's being spoken now if a woman doesn't have a husband she could ask her father her brother or one of the elders in the church Actually, this uh, sentence here, verse 32, is that the verse here? Verse um, 33 can be translated, translated, let them ask their menfolk at home. The basic rule to be remembered is that it is disgraceful for women to publicly judge prophecy or disruptively speak in the church. Now, these verses should not be taken As a prohibition against women doing any kind of speaking or teaching in the church. To say otherwise contradicts uh, Paul. What Paul said elsewhere, such as in uh, chapter again, chapter eleven. Women, it's okay. I mean, I again, I've mentioned it back then, but you know, women. I mean, I've I've had great people teach my children at in children's ministry. You know, and. um, and I think you know, Robin does a great job also teaching the women that are here. Place for that. So here again, he's not contradicting what he said in verse eleven or chapter eleven, verse five. So then, with rhetorical flair, Paul reminded the believers at Corinth of his apostolic authority in verse thirty-six. He appealed to their own recollection about his role as an apostle who brought them God's authoritative word. In the final four verses of this chapter, Paul gives his readers a concluding summary. He tells them in verse 37 and 38 that that if they're truly spirit-led, they will come to acknowledge that his views or his views as as from the Lord, that he is speaking the words of the Lord. Anyone who considers themselves a prophet of the Lord or or is truly spiritual will acknowledge that this is the case. However, he says in verse 38, if they continue to go their own way, they demonstrate that they're out of touch with the Spirit and the Lord will continue to ignore them and accomplish His work without them. Now, as I conclude here, the final two verses, uh, verses 39 and 40, bring chapters 12 through 14 to a fitting conclusion by summarizing his instructions on the exercise of gifts from this chapter. Verse 39 shows us that both gifts are equally important However, Paul wants us to be eager to prophesy. In the, ESV, in, the, uh, yeah, in the ESV version, it says there, it's translated, earnestly desire to prophesy. Why? Because prophecy is more useful than tongues. Through the gift of prophecy, sinners are convicted and saints are edified. Nevertheless, he wants us to be eager to prophesy. Although he wants us to be eager to prophesy, he also says, do not forbid speaking in other tongues. The gift of tongues is not to be despised because it has has special value. It does have special value in a believer's personal devotional, devotional time. So even though Paul carefully regulates tongues by discouraging its use in the public church services, He doesn't want it to be forbidden. He closes this topic with a final word of admonition, that everything is to be done decently and in order. God is a God of order and peace, and he wants order when the church comes together, when the gifts of the Spirit are given in an unscriptural focus and discredits the true work of the Holy Spirit, And often leads people people to deny the gifts because they deny its biblical excess. As a church, we must always seek to find a balance between freedom and structure. Every gift has its place, but each must be used to build up the church in unity and in love. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, a lot was covered here, Lord, and a lot of difficult, again, passages, verses here, Lord, but again, we trust that this is Your Word, and that what You have to say is timeless, and that it's true, and that even in the 21st century, in the world we're living in today, it's still applicable, Lord. So give us the eyes to really see and understand what you're saying here, Lord. Give us the ears to hear your truth. And give us the heart to really accept it, Lord. You're Again, amazing and good, Father, you blessed us in so many ways, Lord, with your Word, and with your Holy Spirit, and with your gifts. I pray that everyone that's here that knows their gift, may they, may they use it again to build up the church, to edify one another, because <coughs> that's what we seek, Lord, unity. Unity, in love, in the Spirit, so that we'll draw closer to you, Lord. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to preach this word. May we draw near to you as a result. Bless us next time, fellowship, Lord, and bless everyone's week, upcoming week. Take care of them, watch over them, heal them if they're sick, heal their family, heal their family members as well, Lord. Be with them, encourage them, strengthen them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.